Today's verse comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 18, where it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The writer of this verse is Apostle Paul. And I love this verse because there were many times in my life where I looked at my suffering as unbearable. But first of all, we know that our story doesn't end here. Our hope doesn't even end here, here on planet Earth. We receive hope. We receive His peace, love, and joy. But heaven is our destination where there will be no suffering anymore. Well, first of all, when you have that perspective, we could say, yeah, but I don't even know what it looks like and, and it doesn't make my day better today. Well, let me tell you something that may. Our current suffering here for me as an example, having no arms and legs. You know maybe the story about how I met other limbless people around the world. And I love to share about how God created me. And I prayed that he would actually give me arms and legs. But what if God's plan was that he would use me the way that I am to encourage other limbless people, for example, to know that God loves them, that God has a plan and heaven's waiting for them too. Can you imagine that one hug in heaven where I hug a limbless person who's crying in heaven, hugs me with their new arms, and I hug them with my new arms, and they're crying, I'm crying, they say, thank you for helping me believe that this place called heaven was real. Now imagine my 90 years of suffering in this present time with no arms and no legs compared to the glory that we will feel and praise God for that moment that God didn't give Nick Vujicic a miracle to have arms and legs, but we all saw how God used our circumstances and our present suffering for a glory which hasn't been revealed yet. I thank God that so far I have no arms and legs. If he gives me arms and legs, awesome! If he doesn't give me arms and legs, I know that there's a greater glory that will be revealed. I love you. Take courage, my friend. Now you must understand that Egypt was the America of its day. It was the superpower of its era. It stood head and shoulders above any other kingdom of its time. It has gone down in history as being the preeminent government power of its age. We are still worshiping around, going around, taking pictures around, studying around, observing the, 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 the magnitude of the brilliance of the kingdom of Egypt. We're still studying. Their pyramids are still standing. Thousands of years later, their architectural designs are still being studied. Their craftsmanship was known in all the earth. Egypt was the superpower of its era. Pharaoh was the kind of leader that you could not have an international summit and leave out the Pharaoh of Egypt because Egypt was a superpower. You have to understand that these people are not fooling with no jack leg upstart Johnny come lately individual who's an egotistical maniac. Pharaoh was a force to be reckoned with. He decided whether men lived or died. He made a decision and you couldn't catch your breath. 
He made a decision and armies were destroyed. Women were violated. He made a decision and entire villages were set on fire. He was not to be trifled with. Had he risen again, that's why Moses ran and spent 40 years because Pharaoh was not to be fooled. It is that kind of power that is chasing a group of slaves out to the riverbank. Can you imagine the kind of fear they felt when they heard Pharaoh huffbeats coming in behind them? He didn't just use his chariots. He picked out 600 chosen chariots, the fastest in the fleet, the mightiest of the crowd, the most skilled warriors that he had, 600 men chasing a bunch of farmers down to the Red Sea. And if God didn't make a way, they would have been totally destroyed. I feel the Holy Spirit saying right now, there's somebody watching me right now, that you're in a predicament that if God doesn't make a way, you're gonna totally be destroyed. Man can't help you, friends can't help you, neighbors can't help you, your uncles can't help you, you're in a crisis mode situation, and whatever that is that's coming up behind you, it threatens to totally annihilate you, and that's why God's got you watching this message right now, because if God be for you, he's more than the world against you, and he's about to pull you out. And if you miss the rest of the message, this is your jump off point. You could dance right here because God's about to snatch you out of your worst nightmare, of your deepest fear, of your worst anxiety. God is about to pull you out. When God gets ready to move it, he will move it out of the way. And I know you hear the hoof prints. And I know you feel the threat because the enemy always threatens before he destroys. He's a terrorist. He wants you to be fearful and frightened and afraid. It's not like this was a sneak attack. They could hear trouble coming to terrorize them. Their emotions were frozen. Their will was paralyzed. They were so distraught they started murmuring and complaining against God and Moses. They wanted to go back into Egypt back into bondage, back into rape, back into slavery. Anytime you want bad better than good, you're a friend. I want to talk to people who are so afraid that you chose bad over good. You chose wrong over right. You chose to stay in a house full of violence rather than to get out there on your own. But this is the day of your liberation. This is the day of your emancipation. This is the day that you are set free. And the Bible said that God used what was in his hand against what Pharaoh had in his hand. Pharaoh had 600 chosen chariots, skilled men of warrior. God had water and wind. <laughs> and the Bible said he spoke to the wind. And the wind blew the water back for miles and miles. Then he told Moses, he said, not only will I bring you out, but I'm going to bring you out comfortably. I'm going to bring you out comfortably. See, the Red Sea 
experience is where God teaches Israel separation. So point one is God will separate you at the Red Sea. He says, I am going to teach you separation. I am the God of separation. I separated day from night. I separated light from dark. I separated water from ground. I separated the firmaments that were above the water from the firmaments that were beneath the water. I am the God of separation. And so you don't have to be afraid of what's trying to overtake you because I'm the God of separation. And I will put a barrier between you and it and I will set you apart because you're mine. I am the God of separation. Somebody write down, he's the God of separation. He's the God of separation. And God uses water to teach them that I will separate you by the water. And the Bible says that they step down into the dry seabed of the Red Sea. And there they go walking through on dry ground because when God brings you out, he'll put you in an environment so good that you don't even have to get muddy. Later on, later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will exegete this text and tell us that what we call a Red Sea deliverance, God called baptism. For he said, did not God not baptize the children of Israel unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea? I didn't know I was at a baptism service. I thought I was coming out of a fire escape. But God says, no, this is not just an escape. This is a baptism. And I had to baptize them because they went in the water as slaves. They came out of the water as sons. I had to baptize them to put a line of demarcation markation between how they define themselves then and how they define themselves now which is what baptism is for for as many of us have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death that likewise we may be also in the likeness of his resurrection we went down into his death we come up into his life they went down so that who they, the enemy was chasing could be pronounced dead we died in the Red Sea. All of your slaves died in the Red Sea. Did nothing come out of the water but sons. But when Pharaoh got ready to step into the way that God had made for his people, instead of it being a way that the wicked could walk through too, when the wicked stepped down into the water, God told the wind, go back, and the waves collapse, and they drown. I know he is the master of the winds and the waves, because in the New Testament, when the disciples were crossing over on a ship, they woke Jesus up with sleep in his eye, and he stood on the bow of the ship, and he spoke to the same elements. He said, peace be still, and the Bible took note, the winds and the waves obeyed him. That is the same wind and waves that obeyed him in the book of Exodus. When he spoke to the wind and said no more, it stopped blowing back the waves and the waves came in and Pharaoh drowned. Now see this with me if you will. 600 chariots, horse-driven chariots are drowning in the Red Sea. The animals, the chariots, the swords, 
and the shields are floating in the water. Josephus, the historian, says that bodies were littered all up against the banks of the Red Sea, coming up out of the water dead, so that when the women started dancing, they were dancing on the dead. Ah, hallelujah! Who would ever thought that God would deliver you so well that you would dance on what was dancing on top of you? And I know it sounds foolish, but that's why I'm telling you to dance in the desert. That's why I'm telling you to dance in the desert, because while you're dancing, your devils are dying. While you're dancing, your diseases are dying. While you're dancing, your debt is dying. While you're dancing, your enemies are, are dying. And when Miriam grabbed her tambourine, she did not just do it out of joy, she did it out of warfare. Ah, because when you praise God, he is magnified. And the more you praise him, the more he'll work for you. So when you see God bringing you out, don't just stand there and look at him, but grab your tambourine and start dancing in your just ah, if you praise him, if you praise him, if you praise him in your house, if you praise him in your living room, if you, oh. and there they were dancing in the desert. Little did they know that when these women started praising God, they would set off a catastrophic series of events with water. Remember when God told the woman, if you believe on me, as the scriptures have said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of water. Some things aren't going to happen till you praise him. Some things aren't going to happen till you speak up. Some things aren't going to happen till you grab your tambourine in the middle of your desert and say, I refuse to be depressed and I refuse to cry and I refuse to walk around this house looking all sad. I'm going to grab my tambourine and devil, I'm going to dance on top of your head. I'm going to dance. Give me some old time. Holy Ghost Pentecost. I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm going to... And they all went down. Not one of them escaped. The death count was 100%. Not one man lived to tell what happened. Because when God says, I will destroy your enemy, he means I will totally annihilate your enemy. And I don't care how big he is, God says, I will bring him down. And the Red Sea closed in. But the Red Sea closed in, not just to destroy Pharaoh. It also closed in so that none of the lesser troops could follow the pursuit.
point number two. Point number three, it closed in so that when the children of Israel got into the middle of the desert, they could not go back. <laughs> hey! Tell your neighbor, I can't go back. I'm too far in. I can't go back. When I was two years old, my parents got a divorce and both of them went into same-sex relationships. They were very political activists. They joined the local board of directors of GLAAD. They took me with them when I was very young to uh, gay clubs and bars and pride parades and events and campouts. I remember this one time I was marching this gay pride parade when I was very young. And at the end of the parade were all these Christians holding up signs saying, God hates you. There's no room for you. And if that wasn't offensive enough, they were spraying water and urine over everyone at the same time. I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, why are they acting like this? And I will never forget her words. She said, Caleb, they're Christians. And Christians hate gay people. And so I really grew up not liking Christians. I judged the whole community based on the extremists of those on the street corners. And I had some friends who were always trying to make me into a Christian. So one of them invited me to a Bible study and I figured I'd go. My plan is very simple. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be a ninja Christian. I'm gonna pretend to be a Christian, learn about the Bible, and then dismantle uh, their arguments for Christianity. And I kept on going. I wanted to prove Christianity wrong, but here's what I learned, that Jesus was not like the people on the street corners, that, that Jesus's life was actually proving my worldview wrong. And I also learned that Jesus had very deep theological convictions, but he also had very deep relationships with people who are not like him and people who are marginalized and outcast and pushed aside, not only by secular society, but also by religious society as well. And I gave my life to Christ eventually, and I wanted to become a Christian, and I decided to become a pastor pretty much all within the span of a week. And I remember telling my parents, I was a 16-year-old teenager coming out as a Christian to my three gay parents. They disowned me for a while. They kicked me out. They didn't want to have anything to do with me. The, the same frustration and the same treatment and the same extremism that they feared from the people on the street corners, they gave to me at the same time. I went to Bible college and I said, Lord, if you ever give me the chance to lead a church, I want a church filled with people who are broken, filled with people who are questioning their sexuality, with people who have had abortions, with people who are in gangs and homeless and cutting and clinically depressed and people who have their finances out of whack and their marriages are destroyed and people who have ruined relationships with their parents because that's what the church is. The church is really a, a mosaic of broken lives that God has united together to glorify himself. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for some little members-only country club that is really a Pharisee factory. I preached at a church for three and a half years. Both of my parents, separate of one another, moved down to Dallas, Texas. And they both started attending the church that I was preaching at. These are the same people that would make fun of, of people on the radio station, and they started attending my church. And the people in my church were nicer to them than I was. And I just think to myself, that's incredible. And it's messy, and there's tension, and it's uncomfortable. And you know what? That's what faith is. Do they believe in Jesus? Yes. Are they saved? Yes. Are they in a same-sex relationship? No. Do they still struggle with same-sex attraction? Probably so, yes. Will they slip up sometimes? I don't know. It's not my job to resolve this tension between grace and truth. It's my job to love people well and point them to Jesus.
because Jesus is all about people. And when Jesus's grace intersects our messy lives, it looks like messy grace, but that's okay because God loves messy people. And when it intersects, it looks like the blood of Jesus, which is able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Get that straight. He's able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and present you in his presence spotless and full of joy. You don't stand before him condemned. You don't stand before him ashamed. Your conscience is clean from all the dead works of the law. You are in his presence in love and grace. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He loves sinners. He loves them so much he was willing to die for them. I know this personally. Uh, the Apostle Paul claimed he was the captain of all sinners. Okay, you can have that title. I'll be the first lieutenant. Jesus came to me. He sought me out. He left the 99 to go find me. And he'll leave that same 99 to go find you. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Jesus Christ and that love never condemns, it always forgives. He loves you tenderly. He loves you so much he was willing to leave heaven, dwell on earth, go through all the horrors of the crucifixion, all of that just for you. If you want this, all you have to do is ask. If you're wondering, is there a God up there? Does he care about me? Does he love me? Does he have a purpose for me? Can he do anything with me? Here's a very simple prayer for you. Jesus, if you're real, can you show me? Can you show up for me? Don't take my word for it. Don't take anybody's testimony for it. This is something you have to find yourself. These testimonies encourage you. They encourage you that if you pray that same prayer, you'll get the same result. And the answer is yes, you will. If you need help with this prayer, if you need to know, can, can I get right with God? Can I be reconciled? Give us a call. We're not here to judge. We're not here to condemn. We're here to tell you, God loves you and he loves you so much, he was willing to die just for you. Hello, I'm Gordon Robertson. Thanks for watching the video. Be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell for more encouraging videos like this one. Welcome to the 700 Club Interactive Family, and God bless you.